Welcome to the Broadcasters Roundtable here on Flyers Radio 24-7. Well, summer's winding down. It's been a good summer, but uh, training camp, the 2019-20 season, is just around the corner. Preparations have started for the uh, start of training camp. I thought it would be a good time to reconvene and uh, kind of talk a little bit about what we all are looking forward to uh, with our latest broadcasters roundtable. Jim Jackson, Steve Coates, Bill Meltzer, Chris Terrian. Guys, uh, it has been a busy summer. Uh, Chuck Fletcher had a list of objectives that he had in mind going into the offseason. Boy, I think you got to give him an A so far because he's checked off just about every box, hasn't he? Yeah, and he did it very quickly. He did it actually before July 1st, which I think was probably pretty smart. Uh, certainly, we're going to get into the individual moves, but Kevin Hayes was the, the first one and maybe the, the one that, that gets most of the publicity. But there are a lot of other moves he made that, that uh, help. I guess what's still left, the only unchecked box now, is getting the restricted free agent signed in terms of connecting and Proveroff. But outside of that, you talked about needing some defensive depth and, and veterans back there. He got that. You, you talked about getting an upfront forward with some size and, and a center, as it turned out. They got that. Uh, you know, they've added some other little bits and pieces. They have the backup goalie with Elliott. So I think, yeah, he's gotten most of those boxes there, checked. There's one more box he hasn't, and I'm almost kind of glad he didn't because you don't want to box out guys. You want some competition for jobs in training camp. That right wing on the third line yeah. is still kind of there to be claimed. Well, there's a lot of different ways you can go. You can wait for the free agency situation to really cleanse itself and maybe pick up somebody right at the right time. But I think going back to what Jimmy said, I mean, they've done a heck of a job of moving people around. You know what's really interesting is, and, and Bundy, I'd love to get his comment. When you try to find, it's the most amazing thing. We can send people to the moon, but we don't, have, well, we have a problem getting right-hand shot players, right-wingers. Defensemen. Especially. And right defensemen. And all of a sudden here you got two guys as veterans coming in here to help this hockey club at a position where back under the other coaching staff and the other general manager, they didn't seem to care about left hand, right hand. They'd played people all over the place, but this general manager also obviously believes in, in playing a natural position. And I think that that's a very, very important thing for any team to have that element on your hockey club. Yeah, I agree, especially when you know when I was a left defenseman and I had DeJardin on the right-hand side, it's completely different when you have a guy who's a left-handed shot and you're trying to move the puck up rather than being able to put the puck on his forehand yeah. so he can continue forward. It's a completely different position playing the off-wing on defense. So it is, it is, it, uh, it's important, and, and to be honest with you, it's not so much important just for the team. It's also important for each other's defense guy to know who they're passing to and where you're putting that puck for the guy. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely absolutely makes a difference. I think if you look around the league last year, you look at where teams ranked in goals against average. Teams 21 through 31, all 10 of them missed the playoffs. Right? Obviously, Flyers are 29th. Priority number one, it was something that, that Chuck Fletcher had said going back to January. Priority number one was cut the goals against average. And if you look at what teams, you know, the kind of teams that, that win with some consistency do, they're strong down the middle. So they add Hayes. They add two veteran defensemen. Um, the, every member of the coaching staff has said that, you know, at least as of now, the plan is to try to pair a left and a right in all three pairs. Well, now they have the, you know, they have the ability to do that, assuming everybody stays healthy. They have a left and a right on, on all three. Pair veterans with young players. Um, so I think, you know, I think that at minimum, and with of course with a new system in place and new coaches, it might take a little bit of time to get everybody in sync and get going. But I, I think that this team 
it's pretty fair to say we'll cut their goals against this year. They're going to have to cut it substantially. I don't know if they can do what the Islanders did a year ago and go from 31st to 1st, which is you know almost unheard of. That was an amazing job that, that Trotz did. But I, I think at least getting to the middle of the pack. And that should also help the team offensively as well because you're you know getting out of the zone faster, more chances to counterattack and, and get the puck up, up ice. Um, you know, another year of experience for Carter Hart. I guess we'll get into the goaltending tandem at some point. Well, just having for a yeah. full year, too. Having, yeah. I mean, remember, this the goaltending situation was a mess first half of last year. They used all those goaltenders. So if there is Carter Hart with Elliott as a, a competent backup and a guy who can come in and spell him quite, quite often, according to AV, he's going to use him a lot. But just solidifying that position in and of itself is going to help that goals against a whole lot. Well, certainly. A whole lot. Certainly. And, then, of course, the other piece of it, too, is cutting goals against is, is the penalty kill. And, you know, I mean, it's been, you know, Mike Yo had been a head coach for quite some time, but, but originally he coached both ends of special teams with Pittsburgh. That's how he made his first, uh, his first mark in the NHL. And they had been down near the bottom on PK for a number of years. And, um, you know, that, I mean, apart from all the talent they had up front, I mean, that was an area that he helped turn around. That was kind of, you know, how he made his name first in the league. Um, I, I, think, I think Yo will be a good PK coach. Obviously, your goalie is your most important penalty killer, having some stability in that, but also adding some veteran guys who are used to eating minutes, used to killing penalties, and then hopefully they can build on what they did over the final half of the season last year because they were actually a pretty good team on the penalty kill in the second half. It's just that the, the first quarter numbers were so bad, under 70%, you spend the rest of the year trying to pull it up. I think you know if that comes together, then you're looking at least being middle of the pack and goals against and their talent is there to score too but I mean I think that those were the number one things that that uh, Chuck was trying to attack this offseason strength down the middle stronger defensively and uh, you know he he checked those boxes now we have to see how everything comes together and we'll talk about uh, the coaching staff because obviously that whole staff is now uh, changed and uh, more experienced than any staff I can think of in the NHL but going back to Chuck Fletcher and his approach to the summer I was so impressed at how proactive he was to the point that you got to July 1st and his work, not that it was done, but the biggest pieces that he wanted to fill had already been addressed and you're not trying to build a team on July 1st with free agents. Just from his comments, I would say uh, he thought a lot of those free agents were overpaid and he was pretty happy to not be in that market. Uh, you look at some of the contracts some of those guys got, guys who I don't even think are necessarily top-line guys, in some cases getting six, seven. I mean, uh, that will come back to haunt those teams eventually. So I think now Kevin Hayes is an example of a guy I think the, the Flyers overpaid a little bit. Yep. But, again, it was for an, a specific need and, and something they felt they had to have with his team. And he's still a relatively young player. So maybe at the back end of the contract you might be saying, well, he's a little bit overpaid, but certainly right now he's probably going to fit right He there. was the best fit, though. We were talking about oh, Kevin yeah. Hayes before the end of Absolutely. last season. And he's the best fit. You know, this is the part I, I – maybe we're jumping all over here because we haven't done this in a bit and it's the summer – but the one thing for me that Kevin Hayes does more than just coming in as another guy to fill in on the second or third line, he is as instrumental or should be as instrumental as pushing Nolan Patrick mm-hmm. to sure. as far as he could possibly go. Because if I'm Nolan Patrick, I'm pissed off right now. I am. I'm, I, I, I agree I, with and that. I should be motivated. I would come in here saying, you know what? I'm going to be the second-line center, and that's the attitude he should have. So, yes, did they overpay Kevin Hayes? They did. There's nobody in the league that's going to tell you they didn't. They absolutely did. But they needed a guy in here to give him that, the support defensively and offensively that he's uh, provided for teams he's been on the last few years, 
And also for me, I think it's as big that he's able to, to keep Nolan Patrick in check and make sure that he's getting pushed at all times. And I don't think that's a, a slight on Nolan Patrick in their eyes. Not at all. Of course, they're challenging him, but it allows him to slot into a third-line role where he had his most successful um, stretch last year. Right? Uh, absolutely. When Last year when the Flyers moved Claude Giroux from wing to center, it wasn't really for, you know, for G's benefit. It was really for, it was, you know, above all, it was for Nolan Patrick's benefit. And during, during that period of time, I mean, Giroux's numbers suffered a little bit. He was not as, as effective at center as he had been on the wing. But that was the stretch of the season during, during that time when Patrick had a stretch of, I think, 12 points in 13 games. He was in much more favorable matchups a lot of the time. That's something that won't show up in Hayes' points, but it may show up in Patrick's. And that's, you know, try, trying to build really a one through four, assuming that Scott Lawn is your, is your fourth line center and not on the wing. You know, I, I think that having being able to plug Hayes into that spot as another two-way center who can give you at least you know fifty to sixty points that range, and yeah, and it's, it's plenty of motivation as you said for for Patrick to you know try to push his way up. And at some point, I fully expect maybe not this year, maybe not even next year, but at some point they're going to flip flop, aren't they? Patrick's going to be eventually a second line center, and Hayes probably is your third line. I think it's very simple in my mind where Nolan Patrick got off to a very slow start. Everybody was very disappointed when he came in here in his rookie year that all of a sudden it was just like a switch went on in January and he was playing like lights out. Unbelievable. Right through the playoffs. I mean, he was the real deal. Then all of a sudden it just like fell off a cliff again last year but never got where he was the year before at the end of the year where he was actually being a player. I don't even know if we'd be in this position if he kept playing the way he did his first year. And it just was really night and day, if you remember correctly. And I just don't understand why there's such an inconsistency with this kid. And that's that's a really good point, Coach, you make. And I think that's the part. You get the first couple of years, you come in as a highly touted prospect and, and you're an NHL caliber, you're ready to play. You'll get a lot more rope than somebody who's 25. Yeah, all, all, who's been the, all the time. But the third year is a year you've got to – where, the, you know, that's enough of, of, you know, getting catered along and making it a little bit easier, which it yep. should be like that. Yep. This year he'll, he'll have to answer for his play, and he'll have to find, as you said, that level of consistency – you're going to have games where it's just not your night. That's what it right. goes. But you can't have stretches of games where you're good for nine games and you're off for 11 and it swings back up again. That's not the way you want can't the play him to go. You, but it doesn't set up anything right. Slotting him as a third-line center, though, allows him the time, the yes. room to grow into his body, into the league, and remember he's going to have better matchups. Remember Sean Couturier? He yeah. came in here when he first came in, right? He was a high first-round pick as well. He ended up learning defensively, right? He put in the third line, no pressure. We didn't start talking about Sean Couture as a stud-stud player with the two-way until about two or three years ago. Yeah, and I don't a- think it, most coaches that have had Nolan are not necessarily – they don't consider him a defensive liability. So if you put him at the third line center, he ends up against the top line of the other team. It's not a problem. And he's going to get a, a – usually the top line of the other team isn't as good defensively as Bill talked about. The positive matchup that way might help his offense. So, uh, yeah, and no, no, no doubt about it. I don't know, Tim – down the road, maybe, but no one's got to grab it. You know, I no mean, question. Yeah, and and it. you want to make guys earn it. Let's yeah. turn this back to Kevin Hayes, though, and why personally I think he's the best fit here for what they needed to fill because he's big. Talk to anybody who's played against him; he's terribly difficult to play against just because he's so big. Is he a guy that's going to score you thirty-five goals? Probably not, but he's really good defensively. All the other areas that he's going to help, I think, is going to offset the fact that he's not going to be a 35 or 40 goal scorer. We did a feature kind of recently on, on Scott Lawton on the Flyer site, and he's, he talked about how hard it is to play against Hayes. How you, he's so hard to take off the puck, his stick is really heavy. 
and he, he's very smart and um, also also a really clever passer. He's more of a setup guy than a finisher. Um, and I think when you know, and, and also he has that instant familiarity with Vino too, right? So that he's played under his system before, and if you look at his development path, I mean, it took some time for him to you know get Vino's confidence. When he did, Vino played him a lot, and there there's kind of a blueprint for younger players to follow where you're going to have to. You know, go through that process, and you know there might be games where you sit, or there might be periods where you sit. You know, close game in the third period, and and if you play the right way, if you play the way that the coach wants you to play, you know, you'll get that confidence. You'll get the ice time. When you take a look at a Hayes, the size is the thing that really, really comes to mind for me because this team for a while now has been too small, both offensively and defensively. And, you know, you go into the in the opposite zone and those big defensemen are beating up on your, your smaller players and you describe a guy like Kevin Hayes that's got a heavy stick, he's big, he's along the wall, he's going to he'd be able to control that area below the circles just like Couturier does. That brings a lot to your hockey team, a lot. Plus he can play special teams. All the different things that this team needed. We played Patrick at the second spot, but he just wasn't ready. And that just kills you because they're getting so much ice time and then you're continually looking for – accountability and it didn't happen i think this instantaneously makes you a lot better hockey club in your top six billy said strength down the middle is usually how effective teams build themselves and i look at scott lawton as a great insurance policy because he can fill that third line right winger role if he's required to but he's a great fourth line he's just like raffle i I think the flyers fourth line got way better automatically and raffle and lawton are two guys that can fill in anywhere doesn't make any difference. You can just take him off a hook and put it right wing, left wing, the whole, the whole deal. So with that in mind, Billy, talk about uh, Tyler Pitlick and what yep. you know about it. Just where I was to go with it. Um, you know, Pitlick in Dallas, he was actually – he actually worked his way up to the third line. Um, Ken Hitchcock's year there, he had actually put him in the third line. He had a 14-goal season. You know, he's very much a north-south kind of player, but he's a big guy who can also really skate. Um, you know, and that those are his, those are his two main assets. He's very tenacious off puck, really good forechecker. You know, he'll score you a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I think fourteen is about where he would top out, and that would be that would be playing a, a lot of minutes. But whether he's on the fourth line or on the third line, I mean, the Flyers needed Flyers needed a a guy with a combination of size and skating ability who's also you know who's also tenacious around the puck. I think he, I think uh, Pitlick was a sneaky good signing. The only issue with Pitlick has been injury history. Um, he's torn an ACL at one point in his career. He had wrist surgery this past year that kept him out a lot of the season. So, you know, if he stays healthy and stays in the lineup, he's a really good bottom six kind of kind of guy, and I, th- I think a sneaky good acquisition. But, you know, you have to show that you're healthy and stay in the lineup. Bundy, I think the thing that that underlines to me is it's not always about compiling the best scores it's about finding guys that can fill certain roles better. In, in your mind, Pitlick is probably better in that role than a Ryan Hartman would be. Uh, no question. I think with the size and the skating ability, I'll take that all day long in a depth line role uh, that I would that someone is a little bit smaller and, and scrappier. I just don't think it – I mean, look at the two teams that got to the finals. Again, I mean, you could go back to the two teams that made the finals the year before. I mean, they had – some big bodies on those depth lines, very consistent defensively, going to guys like Sunquist, Barbashev, just from St. Louis. Yeah. You know, those guys were difference makers. Uh, that's what a third and fourth line is, I think, for me, a guy that can chip in the odd goal, but also set the emotional and the energy tone in a hockey game. 
uh, to give you know to give the rest of your guys out there a chance if things aren't going good in the top two lines. So I like the addition. I, I anytime you get a, I think a guy uh, you know, coach, you always like this big guy that can go up and down that wing, get in on the four check, maybe yeah. pop <clears throat> the odd goal. I think yeah. it's always a benefit for your team. And those guys are usually end up being really good teammates and guys that you need over the course. You can't have four scores right on four lines. Right. That just wouldn't make any sense. Right. And you're just not going to get that kind of talent level down the line. So you need somebody that's able to do that. And I hope Pitlick is that guy. All right, so if Kevin Hayes in filling that second line center role was objective one, Bill, you talked about uh, the idea of cutting goals against. Obviously, that's huge. To find two veteran defensemen the way he did, and both guys are coming off not maybe their best years in the NHL, but, boy, finding those guys, especially right-handed shot defensemen, is is easier said than done. Yeah, and year after year, I mean, Niskanen is one of the prime minutes eaters around the league. And, I, you know, honestly, I, I think his real value, you know, Flyers got to get to the playoffs first, which show next spring. And we only, we only have to go back, you know, one calendar year, how big he was for the the Capitals and winning the Stanley Cup. He was pulling down uh, 25-23 of ice time a game throughout the playoffs. Just just monstrous minutes. And he was playing the best hockey of his career. You know, and and this past season, I, I'm almost, you know, I know he's in his 30s now, and you do start to worry when a guy comes off an off season, you know, he's turning 32, 33. But, uh, you know, in late December, he had, he, he, it was a scary play. He his, hit his head on the boards, didn't miss any time, but he didn't play very well for the next couple months after that. You'll see that sometimes maybe past concussion protocol, but something wasn't right with him. You know, he, he closed a little bit better than he played during that stretch. You know, I, I honestly, and this is with all due respect to, to Radko Gudis, you know, if, if Niskan hadn't had that down year, you go back a year or two years, I don't think you could get Niskan in for, for Radko Gudis. So this was kind of the time to, to make that move. Gudis is a year away from going unrestricted. And Braun is a 20-minute-a-night guy on a contending team year after year, and yet neither guy had their best year last year. I'll say something with Braun also, though. You know, we talked about the, the, the three right-handed defensemen. Well, they had, they had that situation in San Jose, and they had two really dynamic offensive defensemen, and, you know, Eric Carlson and, and uh, Brent Burns. But neither guy is a guy you want starting a lot of shifts in the defensive zone. So, you know, I think 60% of uh, – 60% of – bronze shift start in the defensive zone and often against other teams best lines big picture what i like about the the ads are they're not long term <laughs> right these are guys that I, I think will help hopefully bounce back years for both uh, they'll help the young guys develop this is still a team with a, a young nucleus on d that is very promising maybe got lost a little bit because there was not that veteran presence last year that they could play those kind of minutes and, and also be that kind of veteran influence these two guys are those guys and they're not signed beyond next year so you're looking at Maybe a short-term fix. You get the young guys going, and then, of course, you're going to have to sign those guys. And if all works well, you've got Myers coming up, obviously, and, and, and the guys who are already here. So uh, I like the look of the defense. I like the left-right. That is, is – you mentioned money. I mean, that's, that's huge. We don't talk about it enough, I don't think, on the air during the, the course of the season. But that, that is really important for anybody who's played the game. They'll tell you that. Well, so. and in my mind in camp, there are going to be some fights going. Well, yeah, Robert Hague. Where's Robert Hague? You, you got know? eight. I mean, there's some I, players I, who – probably sitting there saying hey how, what about me you got eight nhl defensemen in, yeah. in my mind philip myers is here i don't i think he's an nhl defenseman sam moran is he ready to play in the nhl i mean he's gonna have to show that but well there, that's an interesting sam moran's a great question because one thing we talk about size absolutely it was a necessity now we got sanheim back there you got myers back there 
You're not, you're, is, is Moran going to be there? You need that element back on your blue line. But the one thing that I'm asking is that is Moran the guy that can be the grit on this team? That guy you mentioned, who is in the finals, the Boston Bruins, St. Louis Blues, they played big, tough, rough hockey. And that's where you get – I'm being very emphatic here. I, know, I agree with you. They did. They okay, played and that's hockey. what you want. Spirited. Hopefully yes, that's why I was up. bang on this table. So, I'll go back again. Is Moran the guy? I think he can be, and I, you know, people talk about the skating and all that. He, this guy covers so much space just with a stride or two and his stick length. Like, I mean, yeah. I remember Shell Samuelson. You could still play Shell Samuelson. Samuelson could still play today yeah. in, the, in the league with his long stick and reach. You know, but that's. I think he could be that guy. I think he's got to find that gear and that level of consistency from his coaches to say, "Here's what we want you to do." Uh, you know, I was told that I got lucky enough to play with a guy like Desjardins. But when they give you a role and you stick with that role every game, it becomes easier for you. You know, right. you're a defensive guy. I want you to shut down the left side of that rink, get the That's puck right. out with ease, do your job every game. There's no, there's nothing sexy about it. There's no big reward for it. Your teammates notice it. But I think Sam Moran, there's a, a spot for him in this league for a long time if he can play that type of role. I haven't really given this much thought until you said it, but is there any concern? I mean, team toughness, yeah, you want it throughout your team, but – do you need to have a guy like uh, Radko Gudis that's clearly going to be your – he wasn't really a fighter anyway. Do you need that guy anymore? What, as far as – Like a Ryan Reeves or a, a hey, tough listen, guy? Ryan Reeves went to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Tommy Wilson went to the Stanley Cup final. The St. Louis Blues, Boston Bruins had all those elements. And that's bottom line. That's what I'm saying. Now – do you need a guy you can't afford anymore? I just read an article the other day about the fact that you, you can't afford to have that guy that's that loose cannon. Like a guy I saw like this weekend, Donald Brashear. Here's a guy that, that was part of the element. You can't do that anymore because you can't afford player. <clears throat> coaches would rather win than take a chance at having a guy fourth line that's going to be able to, you to have knock a somebody's can, head off. you got to have a guy that can play. you got a guy that's got to be tough but can play. And I think that Moran can be that guy. But it answered your question, yes, 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 yes. The game hasn't changed. There's a reason those teams were in the Stanley Cup playoffs and in the Stanley Cup finals. And there's a, a reason the St. Louis Blues won. That's cyclical. But three years ago, we weren't talking about this. But I think the Caps kind of brought it back into vogue with Wilson, to be honest with you. I, yeah. Yeah. I think Crosby, though, and, and you're right, Jimmy, they, they, they were smaller, yeah. the, the Penguins. But if you take Crosby out of that element, yeah. where where's the Pittsburgh Penguins with that? So right. I mean, I I agree, but it's just I don't know. It seems like bigger, heavier teams have, seem to have a a, a, a go right now. Back. The three it, back. Is, it yeah. is back. There's no question. It's so back. you go into a training camp, and you always have, in my mind, you always have somebody that steps up and surprises you that maybe you weren't on counting on going into training camp. There are a lot of guys that could be that player in your mind. Joel Farabee on that list. Is there any reason he can't win a job here? I, I think I can't wait to see the young guys in camp. Let me say that. I think the chance of them making the team is very small, only because of everything I've read from Chuck Fletcher and from AV. I mean, they seem like guys who, who want these guys to develop in the American Hockey League. Um, and uh, but, but I will say this. Joel Farabee's done a lot of impressing of people here this summer and, and obviously last year. He might, he might just perform so well that he fits in one of those roles. I can't say for sure no, but I wouldn't count on yeah. the young guys breaking with the team. Uh, but, again, you get that nine-game rule with some of the guys too. I, we'll see. 
But uh, personally, I think you, we talked about the lines pretty much how they're constructed. I think that's pretty much how they'll be. So if it's not Farabee and if it's not Frost, and Frost would be out of position there anyway, yeah. uh, Isaac, Isaac Ratcliffe is going to be a big body in this league, I'm convinced. Can't wait to see him. Probably I, I not yet. But yeah. So if Farabee's not that guy, Andy Andreoff? That's one of the possibilities. Uh, you know, Obey Kubel, is that how we're saying his name this year? I don't know. It changes year to year. <laughs> we'll find out what he wants this year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, he's another possibility. I think this is a huge camp for him. I mean, he, he signed a two-year, a two-way deal, correct? Was it a two-way deal? Two-way deal. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it's on the line for him. He's, yeah. he's got to go out there and perform. And, and uh, you know, not that, not that it's the primary thing. Number one thing is going to be performance in camp. But sometimes, sometimes if it's close, you do look at contractual kind of things, right? Uh, in Farabee's case, if he spends the year in the American League or no more than nine games in the NHL, that whole year slides. Right. So his entry-level deal wouldn't even start till a year from right. now. And that, that's kind of big for long-term planning as guys become restricted free agents. You'd have them for three. You know, it's almost like a four-year yeah. thing for the cost of three. Yeah, if you, if you look forward with this team, you're going to start to lose some of the top-end guys, but you've got... Patrick Hart, all these guys are going to go into those second contracts. Provorov, who knows what we're doing right now. So we think all in terms of this year, right? right. What they're going to do this year. But like you say, that yeah. that if you can push Ferby back another year, that really that will help. Every year, as long as and every one of us has been here a long time, it's the same thing. We always talk about these young players. They're going to make it. We're going to change things around. I don't know if you can afford to do that. I think that I think Chuck Fletcher's moving ahead with making sure that this product is going to be ready for prime time at the beginning of the year because it has been good. We've got a whole new coaching staff. We've got a whole new upper management staff. You've got all these different changes right now. There's, there's, there's time now that you've got to win, and I don't think you have the opportunity to try the second kid or the third kid into this lineup. I think you need the real deal to start the season. On top of that, it's the same thing every year we go to training camp. We've got too many right wingers. We've got too many left wingers. We've got too many centers. What are we going to do with everybody? And we get to November and we're looking for a right winger. Right. You know, it's if it's a bonus to get a young kid, but right now I think, hey, let's we got to have people can play. And I get the long picture view uh, of, as it applies to Joel Farabee. But if he comes to camp and you're a better team because he stepped up, he's going to force a decision there. You can get a lot of info out of that nine games too, believe it or not. You That's know, when right. guys come up, I mean, you, you, I mean there's, no, there's no shame or there's no penalty for playing him for nine games. If you think that he's come that far in camp, give him a chance. Every single team, and you guys know this, you've been around forever doing this, every single team overhypes their young guys Absolutely. coming into training camp. And, is he fans, ready? Fans do too. Fans do. Management does. We want them to be successful, sure. but it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah, I and mean, we can use Morgan Frost as an example. I mean, you couldn't put up more points in, in junior hockey than he's done in the last two years. But there's a lot of things that Morgan's going to have to do to be able to transition his game from the junior level to the to the pro level. You know, I, I'm not necessarily that worried about him switching from center to wing. He actually might be better off as a wing at the pro level. He played he played wing in the World Juniors for Canada. He, did fine points wise, but their defensive responsibilities, you know, in, in junior hockey, his line always had the puck. Well, it's not going to be that way in the right. NHL. He's going to play without the puck a lot more than he's used to playing. Um, another, another thing, you know, with Morgan in particular is although he's a very good skater, you watch him skating around the rink, he'll, he'll lap guys sometimes. He, he won best skater in the top prospects, but in game situations, he stops moving his feet a lot of the time. And he could do that in the, in the Ontario league because he was so good. 
and uh, could dictate could dictate the play, could you know could slow down and, and make something happen. Well, he's not going to be able to do that in the in the NHL. Just to to back up what you said, and very quickly, Scott Lawton was a big time scorer in the Ontario Hockey League. Same thing. That's what happens. We overrate sometimes. That's really you can play really good in junior. You can play good in college. This is a whole different ball game, and that's where you really got to watch yourself. And as you mentioned, Timmy. The tough decisions are made in training camp where you're actually saying, okay, we got to make a decision whether we're going to take this kid and play him and then all of a sudden have him fall apart at the end of the year. That is so, so true. And that's when we it's, – it's tough for this year because this is the time they've got to start winning. And that's going to be really tough for the general manager and the coach. All right, the only position we didn't really talk about in goal, and obviously they've put a lot of their eggs in the Carter Hart basket, and I think we're all of the belief he is the real deal. But you want to be careful, um, and you need to have a second guy there that's going to play significant minutes. Everybody, a lot of people thought Cam Talbot was going to be that fit. But there's another side to all of these contract negotiations. The guy's got to want to be here, and he's got to want to fill the role that they're looking for. I don't think Cam Talbot wanted necessarily to come back here, certainly in the terms that Brian Elliott agreed to come back here. And let's face it, when Brian Elliott was healthy, he was outstanding. He, he was, and I think uh, – you know, I think when you look at, I guess, the Talbot situation from what I've read and seen – and and heard it sounds like he wanted a chance to be a starter again at least toss that that idea around and he looks like he's going to get that chance it was an awkward situation with him here last year because we thought he was coming in as the absolute backup to Carter Hart start this year we thought it was a done deal we'd heard this well before the fact that he got here that this is looking like it might happen and it happened usually you don't the rumors never come to but it'll be I, I, I like Brian Elliott back here and he played some very very good hockey and I think if things don't go the way that they expect from Carter Hart early, at least you know you have a guy in there that's going to be competitive every single start he gets and provide the Flyers with good backup goaltending. As long as he's willing, and I, I'm assuming with the money that he accepted and with the contract he accepted, he is willing to be uh, a backup. I don't think he sees himself necessarily as a mentor to Carter Hart. That doesn't mean he's not going to help him, but I think he sees himself as an NHL goaltender. When he gets his chance, he's going to play very well. Um, I, you know, the, the whole... Talbot situation, maybe they thought that would be too too comfortable for Carter. Maybe that would be just too much of a, you know, maybe it's better to have a guy who he's now familiar with from last year and Brian Elliott uh, and, and, some, and, and the camps, uh, and, and maybe that's enough familiarity for, for Carter. I think, you know, this is Carter's, this is his truck to drive now, and that's the reason why I think this team could pop this year. We, we've talked about all the other reasons. They're, they're legitimate, but let's face it, no more important <laughs> position in sport than goaltending. If Carter Hart is the real deal, as Jordan Binnington, of all people, uh, showed us last year, if you get the goaltending, this team can go a long way. Yeah, and it may not be that way at the start of the season. Um, you know, when I, when I talked to Alain Vigneault recently, you know, I, I mentioned to him, well, when you were in Vancouver, you had Luongo, you could start 70 games a season. And, you know, Rangers, you had Lundqvist, who was a, a workhorse for you. You know, how do you see the rotation working out here? And he said that he thinks more and more teams in the league are going to go a little bit more the way Boston went last year, where they split the time pretty evenly between Rask and Halak, and then you identify a starter in the playoffs. He said that at least going in, he'd like to split the time kind of evenly mm. and then see what goes from there. Good, uh, well, we'll that's, that's going to be performance-based, though, yeah, right? Sure. I mean, if Carter Hart is the real deal like then we're talking about, them. yeah. I mean, well, you run with them. I'm, I'm, you don't want to play 70 games. Well, no, but but if you're talking yeah. an even split between the two, I would be surprised. Yeah. I would but, really be surprised. But maybe early in the season, first 10. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm saying yeah. oh, I, when, I we get, when we get to March, yeah, April, if we're looking at 
if we're looking at 45, 35, I mean, I, I would I would be thinking more like 60. You might get a real welcome to Philly. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, again, if Carter struggles, this is all, all bets are off. And if Brian Elliott comes in and is tossing shutouts left and right, of course. And Halak did that. I mean, Halak was unbelievable when he got his chances in Boston. So that's – and Rask struggled for long stretches. So if that happens, sure. But if Carter Hart's playing well, I don't think oh, you're going to see a 50-50 okay. split. And, and hey, maybe you will. All right, You've so, talked to the man. I have not. So yeah. you know more than I as far as where he is at with this. All right. Elaine Vigneault comes in. He's got uh, the track record. He, he's got the resume. He's surrounded himself with a couple of former NHL head coaches. Um how are the Flyers different just because they're playing now for Elaine Vigneault? Well, he, if you go by his track record, at least, it's he, he tends to come in and teams do very well his first season there, at least, right? Particularly when he went to Vancouver. He took them to a, another level. Um, you know, record-wise, he's been to cup finals with two teams. He's, he's won a Jack Adams. He's won President's Trophy. So... You know the, the the background is there. Um, you know now he's had he's had the horses there too. That that certainly was you know vital for any coach. Um, you know, but if you looked at what the character characteristics of his team have been, they've been generally you know good, solid two way teams. You know, but they've had the goaltending again. They've they've had the horses there. So I mean, I, I honestly, you know, the buttons that a coach pushes, your players are going to be the ones that are going to make you look smart or not so smart. Um, but you know, but at least they have a coach who, who's won, and he's won in both conferences. And everything I've read and seen about him, and Bill, you've read, you've written some of this, is that he not only surrounds himself with qualified people, but he listens. Uh, he's not uh, close-minded to anything. Um, there's going to be a lot of discussions on decisions that are going to be made, and they're going to reach a consensus. I think that uh, that'll be one of the big things that we'll all be watching with this hockey team because we've gone through all the changes back on the blue line. You've got new people coming in at the forward position and a whole new coaching staff and a general manager and his staff that's been here a half a year. So the work in progress is going to be how the culture changes here and whether there's more accountability to the, uh, the players that are expected to score and play good and then still have the ability to go out and play. I think all those different things and how quickly it does come together is going to play a big part in the success of this hockey team. That seems to me like an obvious way to wrap this up. I think we're all looking forward to the start of training camp just a few weeks away, and uh, this could be a fun season to see how this all comes together. Sure will. Absolutely Uh, looking forward to it. All right, with our latest broadcasters roundtable for Steve Coates, who's continued to ponce on the table. (laughs) Jim Jackson, Bill Meltzer, Chris Terry, and I'm Tim Saunders. The preceding program is an original production of Flyers Radio 24-7. You can find this and other programs available on demand at flyersradio247.com.